Welcome to Excited by the Science, brought to you by the experts at Edons. In this Journal Club-style podcast, we discuss exciting research articles and explore the science and the scientists behind them. In this episode, can AI detect Parkinson's disease in our nighttime breathing? Join us as our host, Dr. Julian Tang, welcomes Dr. Daniel McGowan and Dr. James Graham to discuss the exciting science behind the article, Artificial Intelligence-Enabled Detection and Assessment of Parkinson's Disease Using Nocturnal Breathing Signals, by Yang et al., published in Nature Medicine. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. We are here today, Dr. James Graham and Dr. Daniel McGowan, to talk about a paper that was published in Nature Medicine. The paper was actually on using AI to detect and assess Parkinson's disease using nocturnal breathing signals. Now, we'll start by talking about what are the current limitations, you know, in terms of the screening and diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, a disease that, you know, affects millions of people globally. Yeah, I mean, this is an incredibly exciting paper. Uh, To me, it represents quite a leap forward in Parkinson's disease research um, and has several implications moving forward. Um, We know that Parkinson's disease is notoriously difficult to diagnose uh, because it relies primarily on the appearance of more symptoms, but these often appear several years after disease onset. And so to detect Parkinson's relies on a subjective medical review as well as various neuroimaging tools. Um, but these require access to specialized medical centers and also highly trained neurologists. Uh, and so overall, aren't really an option for frequent testing, whether that be for an early diagnosis or even for tracking of, of disease progression. And so on this point, I think the, this, the, the idea behind nocturnal breathing pattern analysis as described in this paper is actually a really important advance in in the diagnosing and monitoring. Um, And that's primarily due to the high prevalence of sleep-related disorders in this population. Yeah, thanks. Hi, hi, Joey, and hi, James. Um, Great to be a part of this today. Thank you uh, for the invitation. So, yeah, um, look, uh, just to give some context, around 10 million people um, worldwide uh, diagnosed with um, Parkinson's disease, but actually there's probably an awful lot probably millions worldwide, uh, not diagnosed. And and the reason is, you know, as, as James was just saying, diagnosis is very challenging. And it's often done um, several years after uh, the disease has started in someone. Um, so, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the, the classical kind of motor um, symptoms, the, the rolling of the thumb and the um, uh, difficulty initiating movements, like the kind of um, pull-like um, facial appearance and so on. Um, but these symptoms come quite a bit later on. And, you know, things like um, loss of smell uh, and, and sleep disturbances and actually gut disturbances as well uh, are sort of prodromal um, symptoms that appear really before the, the disease has been diagnosed. Um, but, but often the disease has then progressed. There's a, there's a loss of neurons in particular areas of the brain. And so it's re- very challenging to treat um, the disease uh, once it has been diagnosed. And the, the existing treatments can really only treat the symptoms. They can't, there, there are currently no treatments that can stop the slow progression. So, so I was really excited when I saw this paper because, um, you know, this is this is a great opportunity. It's it's an uh, an objective measure that is it can be done in the home 
Um, so you don't have to go to a clinic. It can be, it's non-invasive. So, you know, we're not putting electrodes into people's brains. It's, it's, um, it can be measured just through the, through the airwaves and, um, uh, picking up the changes in the nocturnal, uh, breathing patterns, uh, to not only diagnose, um, Parkinson's disease with quite good uh, sensitivity, I, I should say, um, but also then to track the progression, um, which is also really important when you want to uh, do clinical trials testing treatments that can maybe uh, have an impact on the disease. So, yeah, look, for me, really exciting to see this. I know um, a lot of people working on this in this field um, trying to identify drugs or, or treatments that can stop a slow progression. That's the big challenge at the moment. But if we can diagnose people early and start treating them uh, early on in the disease progression, um, I think that that gives us a huge opportunity to, to really stop this disease in its tracks. Yeah, yeah, some really good points. Um, and, and and for me as well, I, I think this, this AI model that they've developed uh, definitely represents a breakthrough in, uh, I guess, a touchless, non-invasive system. Um, and I think the key words here are, are it's, it's objective. It can objectively recognize individuals with a high risk of, of PD without any of that subjective input from, from patient or clinician. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, yeah, I, I mentioned that it's probably underdiagnosed. I mean, I just, just to mention a few problems, a, a few issues, you know, there's a real shortage of trained neurologists around the world and currently really only, only a neurologist um, can, can diagnose since so often, you know, people are seeing their doctors, it might be suspected, they get referred. It, it's, it takes a very long time. You've also got the problem of um, availability or accessibility of um, to, to these services to get a diagnosis. So, you know, people living in rural areas um, or in poorer countries, maybe people with, with no insurance, they, they just don't um, have access uh, to, to a neurologist in the first place to be diagnosed. So, so this is something that's low cost, it can be rolled out anywhere. It's, um, it's, a, it's a really great opportunity to, um, to identify those people with very early stage Parkinson's. Brilliant. And just to add to that, there was a point that you made previously about clinical trials, and I think that's another key takeaway of this of this paper, is that it can be used to to track the severity of disease in those patients yeah. that are enrolled in clinical trials. So it's going to be speeding up drug development. Um, and when you consider that AI is also being used to, to analyze and identify potential drug targets from, from other research groups, uh, then the whole clinical development process is being accelerated here. Um, yeah, from discovery to the testing and so forth. Hugely exciting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this this AI model is is clearly a very um, exciting and promising area. So, on that note, um, can you walk us through you know uh, the results and what exact the, the exact findings that the team managed to to achieve? Okay, so just to give a, a bit of a, a background to this, um, and also. Uh, I think it's already obvious that I find this paper incredibly impressive. Um, but I think this study not only highlights the, the potential of using AI to develop new diagnostic monitoring tools for PD, um, but it also provides new insights into the relationship between breathing disturbances and PD as well. Um, and, and what I find quite incredible about this is that although using radio data is novel, the, the AI architecture isn't novel. The, the connection between breathing abnormalities and disease severity and progression also isn't particularly novel, to be honest. 
But the fact that this AI tool can first reliably detect how severe PD is associated with irregular breathing patterns, but also secondly, that it can predict the severity of PD with high accuracy as well. And, and, and so what these researchers have done is that they've, they've built this neural network that's been trained and validated uh, using a series of, of data sets. I think there was almost 12,000 nights worth of data uh, and over 120,000 hours of, of breathing signals just from patients with, with Parkinson's disease. So an incredibly comprehensive and broad data set that they, that they have access to. Um, and yeah, 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 pretty, pretty diverse. Uh, and it also came from, from different sleep study sources as well. There was a, there was an NIH funded clinical study. There was a, an MIT observational study. And there was two public sleep data sets as well. One from the sleep heart health study and another one from the Mr. Oz sleep study. Yeah. Uh, and then they also had a, another quite large data set from the, from the Mayo Clinic. And that was used to develop the model um, and was used as an independent, um, sorry, it was not used to develop the model. Um, it was instead used as an independent data set for, for model validation. Mm. Yeah, so a very comprehensive amount of, um, of, of data that was made available to them. And, and actually, I feel that these are a fairly privileged group, group of researchers in terms of their access to this data set. And, also, that's coming from several very large hospitals in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think you raise a key point there, James. I think, um, yeah, the, the richness and, and um, depth of the data set that they had, um, but also the, the diversity in that. You know, you just mentioned, actually, that the data came from several different hospitals. It came from other studies, um, studies, actually, that were you know, around sleep, around breathing, not necessarily Parkinson's, but but would contain within the set of um, subjects that were being studied some some Parkinson's patients as well. Um, so all of these data, um, you know, really add up to, to a really rich data set that the researchers had access to um, to, to try and discriminate. Uh, first of all, discriminate Parkinson's from uh, non-Parkinson's, uh, but then also to to match um, the the changes and the patterns and nocturnal breathing um, to the severity uh, of Parkinson's in that patient. And and I thought one of the really interesting things there was a study there. Uh, there were two different time points, um, James. That uh, at, at the early time point they had some Parkinson's patients, um, but quite a few non. And then at the second time point, which, if I recall correctly, I think it was a year or two years later, um, they had a whole lot more um, Parkinson's patients in that group. And so they were able to compare for those people who had a diagnosis by the second time point. They were able to compare the nocturnal breathing patterns between their first visit and their second, which I, I just thought was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the the advantages of using AI is that you can take multiple data points and you can then aggregate those to then understand whether or not um, Parkinson's disease is, is present. Uh, and when you consider what tools a clinician has available to them in, in terms of asking questions and monitoring uh, disease history and current symptoms and signs. Those are usually just one time point because you can't get the patient to come in several days in a row to then aggregate that data, uh, particularly as you already mentioned, if they are living in a, in a rural area. Yeah, so they, they can be monitored 
on a nightly basis almost. And, um, yes. you know, it's, it's very low cost. It's non-invasive. Um, they can be remote. Um, so it's absolutely, um, yeah, really, really exciting to see that um, people can use this tech then and, and feed into broader um, studies look, looking at um, those nocturnal breathing pains. Absolutely. Well, it's really heartening to know that such a system could eventually be deployed to the homes of patients with PD. Right. Um, but nonetheless, future research is still required to establish the feasibility of, of such a device. Now, so what are some of the, the existing um, matters or, or gaps that um, still need to be addressed before uh, that reality can be fulfilled? For the validation. <laughs> yeah, look, um, you know, I, I'm obviously, uh, I, I come from the Parkinson side. I, I can't really speak about the AI model or the, or the data, but actually it was it was impressive, the um, the level of sensitivity and specificity they, they had. And I, I think that was um, really down to the rich uh, richness of the data. So that was brilliant. Um, but I would add that, you know, a, a diagnosis, I think, really still requires a human, um, I, I think you know you still want uh, clinicians to, to be looking at these people and asking them questions and talking to them, monitoring them. Um, but it can be a first step that can actually be a trigger for someone who maybe doesn't even know they have a problem, have have a, have this particular mm-hmm. disease, to go and and see a clinician and get referred and see a neurologist. So I think yes, there's a whole lot of work to do, but I think it can it can almost act as an initial screening to get people into a system where they can um, have a proper diagnosis and then potentially go on to um, clinical trials as well, um, where we have a real chance of, um, you know, stopping slowing progression uh, if, if we can test some of the, the novel drugs coming through in, in that group um, of early, early PD. Yeah, and then just to expand on one of those points that you just raised there, um, this, this study doesn't show any... Um, differences between PD and different PD subtypes. Um, although they did show that there was a, they could discriminate between Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Uh, other neurodegenerative disorders or even uh, psychological disorders as well, um, they still need to work on, on, on different patient sets so that they can continue to show that they have that sensitivity and they do have that specificity. So, Julian, you, you've probably heard of the um, Michael J. Fox Foundation in the U.S. That's one of the yes. bigger uh, funders in mm-hmm. Parkinson's research. I think, well, I think most people will have. Um, look, they, they're putting a lot of money at the moment into um, this progression um, biomarkers initiative that they fund. And, and there is a real need to have these biomarkers. And, you know, as we sort of touched on before, when you come to do clinical trials, if, if you want to know if um, if a particular treatment is having a genuine impact on a patient, you really need some sort of marker, some sort of outcome that you can monitor over time. And the, the problem we have at the moment is, you know, if, if we're relying on the, the kind of current analysis, which is very subjective, um, it's, you know, it, it involves a, a number of questions and a clinician looking at the, the movement um, of, of a patient, which often, you know, those symptoms can progress very slowly as well. So trials then therefore need to be over a number of years. Um, the nice thing that this digital biomarker, which is the, the terminology the authors use, and I quite like that. That's exactly what it is. It's a digital biomarker. Um, the advantage of this is that, that it is changing 
over time, and it can be it can be monitored, it can be measured um, objectively, and, and therefore those trials can be a lot lot shorter. Um, we're not having to send people to go and um, see neurologists or travel um, if they're in remote areas. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, so clearly this is a very remarkable study. But um, to you know, taking uh, to round things up and to um, take a zoom out of this study, to your knowledge, what are some of the current efforts in um, contributing to to the field of screening and diagnosing Parkinson's disease? Yeah, I mean, in, in Parkinson's research, uh, AI is being used to analyze a lot of different uh, data sources, um, including things like patient records, imaging studies, wearable devices, um, all with an aim to develop uh, algorithms that can identify the early signs of Parkinson's before those motor symptoms appear. Now, this study involved researchers from MIT, Boston University, the Mayo Clinic, so a very diverse collaboration. Uh, and there's a and as Daniel's already mentioned, uh, the Michael J. Fox Foundation is putting a lot of money into this. Uh, and so there's a lot of very, very big groups that are working on using AI within Parkinson's disease. Um, there, there are a number of different studies looking at treatment optimization, uh, monitoring of motor symptoms, uh, even speech analysis or handwriting analysis. Um, and then, yeah, mentioning about digital biomarkers, but there's a lot of other different biomarkers that are being um, developed for PD that could be used to improve diagnosis, uh, track disease progression, but also monitor the response to, to treatment as well. Absolutely. And, you know, there was a, a paper out last year actually on Alzheimer's disease research um, that showed there was a, a serum biomarker that could be um, detected uh, and, and actually um, showed or, or was linked to uh, Alzheimer's disease years before clinical diagnosis. So they, they had a bunch of um, samples in a, in a biobank and um, were able to analyze these and they found that actually, yeah, there were, there were changes years before uh, clinical diagnosis. So, you know, it'd be great to have something similar um, to that for Parkinson's. But, um, you know, there's, there's still controversy around the pathology and pathological hallmarks, but I, I know people that are looking at some of the the earliest affected places, so not, not even in the brain, actually, but in, in the nose um, and the gut where it's thought um, Parkinson's can perhaps originate or the, or the pathology originates um, and propagates from, from both those regions into the brain, actually. Um, years later, um, causing a loss of neurons, um, particularly vulnerable neurons in a region of the brain that, that relate to motor symptoms. Um, but yeah, so, so I, I am aware of groups that are looking at those other um, parts of the body and, and those changes that um, perhaps uh, have, a, have an earlier impact, um, but the symptoms are perhaps a, a little um, more uh, tolerable uh, by patients, and, and that's obviously a factor in non-diagnosis as well. Yeah, I, I, I saw a paper from the one of the neurology units at Cambridge Uni, and there they're using AI to, to analyze um, various brain scans and trying to identify changes that may indicate the early stages of, of PD, which are before you see those motor symptoms. Um, I think they're also working on a, on a smartphone app uh, that can detect uh, some of the really early subtle changes in, in handwriting uh, that may also be an early sign of, of Parkinson's disease. 
great. There's certainly it's a lot to look forward to in terms of using AI to to address the unsolved challenges in not just the neuroscience research field, but also in the general biomedical field too. With that, um, thank you very much, James and Dan. Um, we hope to get you back soon. Thank you. Adios. Thank you, Bart. Cheers. Asking the right questions is key to making breakthrough scientific discoveries and advancements. And as the research landscape grows more competitive and complex, finding innovative interdisciplinary research ideas is more important than ever. The right questions address the most important issues in your field and make it easier for you to conduct high-impact research. At Edons, we can help you to generate these questions, outline a potential study, and present it in a way that helps you to secure funding and quickly make your idea a reality. Our team of creative experts will conduct a deep analysis of the research landscape in your field, identifying gaps, finding the right questions, and helping you find inspiration for your next project. We can also help develop innovative study concepts, a synopsis, and a full protocol. So you'll have a study that is very likely to be accepted by a high-impact, peer-reviewed publication. Let Edons help you to make informed decisions, save time, money, and resources, so that you can advance your field and make the world a better place.